I'm calling this study a journey through the Psalms. A journey through the Psalms because that's what we're doing. We are journeying through the Psalms. But before we kind of get into some rationale as to why I chose this as our next Wednesday night topic for the for the next you know couple years, uh, let me give you well, more than that. Um, let me give you a let me give you the reason that I'm I'm going through the Psalms. But let me give you some some just kind of background about the Psalms first. First of all. Uh, if you look there in your notes, uh, the book of Psalms is the Bible's longest book. The Bible's longest book. You probably knew that. Or if you didn't, you might have guessed that. 150 chapters, that's a lot of chapters. And it is the, the Bible's longest uh, book. It contains more chapters than any other book in the, the Bible, as well as uh, both the longest, that's Psalm 119, and the shortest chapters in the Bible. Uh, uh, Psalm 117. And so uh, these are uh, some neat facts about the book of Psalms. Here's another neat fact about, uh, fact about the book of Psalms, and this is going to um, directly um, dovetail in our conversation about the importance of Psalms, but it is quoted more in the New Testament than any other book. So you want to know what Old Testament book is quoted the most by New Testament authors? The book of Psalms is, is quoted the most. Now, who wrote... Uh, the book of Psalms. Well, there are a lot of different answers to that question. Now, before we get into the human authorship, we need to say on the front end, God wrote the book of Psalms because all Scripture, the Bible says, is is inspired or breathed out by God. So the Bible is God-breathed. He took human instruments, breathed through them as they were writing down what we call the Bible, and they were writing down exactly what he wanted them to write down as he worked through their lives. And so God wrote the Psalms, but he used some human instruments to pen the words of the psalms. Uh, More than 70 uh, psalms, and to be technical, 74, mention David. Mention David. So David wrote most of them, if you're keeping count. If you read through the, the, uh, the, the book of Psalms, you'll see often a psalm of David, a psalm of David. As a matter of fact, look over in chapter 3. I think that's the first one that is called a psalm of David. Notice... Right before verse 1, in small letters, it says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And hey, let me just take a, make a comment here. And I'll say this often as we study the psalms. Those small little letters there before the first verse of the psalms, that is actually inspired text. God, that, God wanted those things written down. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Hebrew Bible often will call that small writing verse 1. And so the Hebrew numbering is a little bit different sometimes than our English Bibles because that is actually text that God inspired to be written down. So it's a Psalm of David, verse 3. And there are 74 that are called a Psalm of David. A man named Asaph and the sons of Korah wrote several. Uh, Asaph and the sons of Korah were basically worship leaders. That's what they did. They they wrote songs for the people of Israel to sing in their corporate gathering, their corporate worships. They were songwriters and song leaders, Asaph and the sons of Korah. Uh, other named authors are Moses. Does that surprise you? Did you know Moses wrote one of the Psalms? Psalm 90, one of my favorites, is uh, Psalm 90 when, when Moses writes, Teach us to number our days that we may... Uh, present to you a heart of wisdom. In other words, we need to understand that life is short, so we'll live wisely in the time God has given us. But Moses wrote that. Uh, Solomon, uh, Heman, Ethan, those are other named authors uh, throughout the book of Psalms. So you'll see different human authorship uh, throughout this study. Now, what about the date 
when were these words written? Well, the Psalms were collected over time. As we kind of study uh, the, the background of the Psalms and look at the, the timeline of the nation of Israel, they were collected over time, probably starting with Solomon and extending to the time after the second temple had been completed. That's when Israel came back from Babylonian, came back from Babylonian exile and captivity. So over uh, decades, these, these uh, hymns, these worship songs, uh, were collected uh, and, and put into an organized form that we call the Psalms. And so they are wonderful as they have been collected and preserved for us. Here's a basic outline. I always like outlines. It really helps me to understand the flow of a book. Now, you need to understand, and I'll say this often, that the Psalms, 150 chapters, are divided into five different books. Book 1, Book 2, Book 3, Book 4, Book 5. Book 1 are Psalms mainly by David. And that's Psalms 1 through 41. As a matter of fact, do you see right before chapter 1, do you see where it says Book 1? Everybody see that? Everybody see that? Okay. Now, turn over to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Notice right above the 42nd Psalm, what's it say? Book 2, all right? Book 2 are, again, Psalms mainly written by David, and they span Psalm 42 through 72. Book 3 are Psalms mainly written by Asaph, worship leader, uh, Psalm 73 through 89. Book 4, most of these are anonymous. Uh, Book 4 covers Psalm 90 through Psalm 106. And then the fifth book is Psalm 107 through Psalm 150. Uh, Davidic, uh, mainly by David, and other anonymous writers as well. So that shows you just kind of a breakdown of the book of Psalms. Uh, Of the 150 Psalms, 116 of them, this is a big number, have a title that provides information about authorship, historical context, musical notations, original usage. And so 116 of the 150 Psalms have those small letters right before verse 1 to give you some information about the psalm, either the way it's supposed to be sung or the musical accompaniment or the author or the context, the situation. A lot of the psalms tell you the context. David wrote this when such and such happened. Like Psalm 51 was written after David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and it's his prayer of repentance. Uh, It gives you the, the, the background, the story. Uh, which is really fascinating because when you start reading through the Psalms and you see the context written in those small letters, you can go to the passage in the historical books and read about it and make the connections between the Psalms and the historical books. And we'll do a lot of that as we work our way through. Now, the other 34 that don't have any kind of small lettering right before verse 1, those are, theologians call those orphan Psalms. Okay, there's, there's no marker to designate them in, in a certain, as a, to a certain author or historical occasion uh, or kind of music. They are just, they're called orphan psalms. There's nothing before the first verse, if that makes sense. So that's the basic outline of the book of Psalms, date, authors, uh, some good information there. Let me give you this summary. This comes from Dr. Kendall Easley. Uh, a couple years ago, I did a study through each book of the Bible. We, we did a one night on Genesis, one night on Exodus, and one night on Leviticus. We called it Walking Through the Bible. Everybody remember that? We took one book a week. And, and uh, when we did Psalms, we looked at some of these same things. But I used Dr. Kendall Easley's one-sentence or two-sentence summaries of each book because they're so well-written and so helpful to help us to understand what a book is about. So how would you summarize 150 chapters? How would you summarize the Psalms? Well, here's a good summary. God... The true and glorious king 
is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. I'll say it again. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. Uh, that's kind of a summary of, of what the Psalms are all about. And so we'll, we'll kind of rehash that probably every week. We'll look at that summary statement to remind ourselves of the overall feel of the book of Psalms. So, why a study through Psalms? Why do we choose this to go through uh, over the next lengthy period of time? And I, I went back and forth. There's a lot of different things I want to share with you. I, I looked at some church history stuff, thought about teaching some of that. I looked at uh, the book of Romans. I looked at a, a series on the Trinity. I feel like I need to do the Trinity series on a Sunday morning, so I'm going to hold that for a while and do that on a Sunday morning series sometime soon. Uh, but I was looking at different options as to what I should uh, share on Wednesday nights because I want it to be helpful, I want it to be beneficial, I want it to be edifying. And, and, I, and I decided that a study through the Psalms chapter by chapter would be, would be very helpful for a variety of reasons. So what I want to do the rest of tonight is I want to answer the question, why a study through the Psalms? Why did I choose this? What I hope to accomplish through this study? And there are five answers to that question. Now, uh, just real quick, as we go through this, you may have a question come up. Just jot it down in your notes, and when we get through, I'll take some questions. If you have any questions, I'll try to answer those as soon as we are through tonight. But why the Psalms? Why the study? Why now? Five reasons. Number one, first reason is this, to elevate our praise. To elevate our praise. You, you can't escape the reality that these psalms are songs of worship. And we know that in the nation of Israel, uh, Jesus himself, they used these psalms to sing praises to God. They were using them in corporate worship. So in, in, in a manner of speaking, the psalms are a hymn book. They were meant to help God's people worship, to elevate our praise. Uh, you can get, turn over to Psalm 145 very quickly with me. I'm going to show you how the book ends, kind of how Psalms is kind of drawing to a close. Look at what it says in Psalm 145. I'll extol you, my God and King, Psalm of David, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise, praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. Look in Psalm 146, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Look in Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Look in Psalm 148, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Look in Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Look down in Psalm 150, verse 1, the last chapter. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You think God's trying to get a point across to us here? The way the Psalms close, and we see it all throughout the Psalms, there is an emphasis on praising God. You can't miss that if you are reading 
through the Psalms. God intends for these, th- this collection of worship songs to elevate our praise, to help us to focus on God with our heart and our mind and to ascribe to Him the worth that is due His name. So let me say it like this. God is worthy of worship, so praise should be a priority for God's people. God is worthy of worship, so praise should be a priority. Ultimately, listen, ultimately, everything God does in human history, in the created order, in the story of redemption, everything God does is ultimately for His glory. It's ultimately all about Him. So if we're not praising Him, we're missing the point of it all. We're missing what God is all about. God is all about the glory of His great name. So God is worthy of worship. So praise should be a priority. And you cannot help, as you study the Psalms, to think about praise and your own need to praise God more. It's all over the Psalms. And so it's going to remind us week after week after week after week after week after week that praising God should be a priority. He's worthy for who he is. Psalm 145. We, I won't have you go back there because I did a series uh, in the middle of part of 2015 on Psalm 145. And I'd spent, I don't know, what, eight, nine weeks on Psalm 145, something like that. Uh, but that whole psalm is about who God is. His grace, his mercy, his love, his sovereignty, his holiness, uh, his kindness, his patience. And we just studied who God is, his character, his nature. So God is worthy for who he is. He's God, right? There's none like him. Secondly, he's worthy for what he has done. You can read over in Psalm 103. I won't have you turn there tonight, but Psalm 103, he says, Praise the Lord, forget not all of his benefits. In Psalm 103, he begins to list the different benefits of of relationship with God, all that God had done for him. Salvation, you know, healing, uh, deliverance, all these different things. He's praising God for all that he has done. So we need to praise God for who he is. That, that, that emphasis is in the Bible. We need to praise God for what he has done. Now, just a quick observation. It's easy to get caught up praising God simply for what he's done. You know, he's, he's sent his son to die for our sins so that we could be redeemed. He's saved us, forgiven us, you know, delivered us. His presence is always in our life. He's transformed us. He gives us the hope and promise of heaven. We could go on and on and on uh, concerning all that God has done. But the Psalms remind us that God is not only worthy of praise because of what he's done, he's worthy of praise simply for who he is, his character and his nature. So we need to make sure that we're praising God for who he is and what he has done. The Psalms help us to do that. Now, you can't escape it. God's greatness calls for exuberant worship. Turn to Psalm 47 with me uh, for a moment. Psalm 47. Psalm 47. I shared this story not too long ago, but I'll share it again. So if you already heard it, just act interested. Sound good? But I can't, I can't read this passage without sharing the story. Uh, years ago, I was a youth minister at a church when I was in seminary. And uh, I'd taken a group of students to youth camp. And they had a great week. God moved. They learned you know, some of the songs at youth camp. And they were really excited. So we came back to the church and we had a youth Sunday 
where the youth led the service. The youth were leading the music. They were in the choir. You know, youth, they were doing everything. They were taking up the offering. They were doing everything. And because I was a youth minister at the temple, because I was a youth minister, I preached that Sunday. And, um, and so I got up and preached, and the youth were singing, and they were clapping and having a good time, you know. And it was the music, they would learn some new songs. They were excited. And I'll never forget, after the service, I was walking out, and, and, and one of the church members came to me and said, we got to talk about clapping in church. And I was, I was just shocked by this. And I said, what do you mean? And, and, uh, and this, this gentleman said, I don't believe we should clap in church. I believe that we should be uh, reverent in, in church. And he quoted a verse, Psalm 4610, Be still and know that he is God. Now, I knew just a little bit, uh, I knew just enough about the Bible to know that Psalm 4610 was not talking about reverence in church. It was talking about when your life is falling apart, you need to be still and know that God's on his throne. And if you read all of Psalm 46, you'll get that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be reverent in church. I, I think the Bible calls for deep reverence and awe in relationship to God. But he quoted Psalm 46.10. But here's the interesting thing. Look what it says in Psalm 47.1. Clap your hands, all peoples. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? I'm thinking, just keep reading. You know, finish Psalm 46 and go to Psalm 47, and you'll see that it's okay to clap in church. It's, uh, clapping is an okay expression of worship. So do we need to be reverent in the gathering uh, assembly of believers? Yes, there should be reverence and awe in our worship, but there should also be a sense of celebration. I believe a good worship service balances both of those. There's reverence and there's celebration. There's, there's that... that, that uh, that recognition you're in the presence of a holy God, and there's also that, that joy that comes from knowing your sins have been forgiven, and because of that, you can call that God Father, and you celebrate what he has done. So, Psalm 47, clap your hands, all, but keep reading. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God, watch this, with loud songs of joy. That'll mess up some folks right there, won't it? And, you know, I just read Psalm 150, and it even mentioned dancing. That don't really mess up some folks, right? We won't even go that route, okay? But the Bible, listen, the Bible, the Psalms, which are all about worshiping, the Psalms call for exuberant praise. I mean, God is good, isn't he? He's so good, and he's done so much for you and so much for me. And he is an awesome God. And, and we should be so overwhelmed by his goodness that we should praise him exuberantly. And I'm not saying you have to act a fool or, or even that you have to clap to worship God. My, my brother is one of the most introverted people you'll ever be around. As a matter of fact, when he attends church with me and it comes to the portion of service where you know, the pastor says, shake hands, he hates that. And there are probably some of you in here that are introverts. You don't like it either. You're like, oh, Wade's going to tell us to shake hands. And, uh, and, 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 so, uh, and so you have people that just, oh, they don't like that. My brother doesn't like, he doesn't like shaking hands. He's a very reserved person. Uh, he, he won't, he's not going to clap along to his song. You won't see him raising his hands. But his worship is just as real and authentic as a person beside him with his hands raised up. It's just how he worships. It's his personality. And so we've got to have freedom in the body of Christ to be exuberant in whichever way we show exuberance, right? My brother, he loves Jesus. He's excited, but he's not showing exuberance the same way someone else might show exuberance. But listen, God is worthy of our best worship. He's worthy of us being fully engaged, whatever that looks like for you, fully engaged in worship, worshiping him with our hearts and our minds. He calls for exuberant praise. And so we see that in 
God's word. And as we think about exuberant worship, just for me, I want to just say this very quickly. It's worth saying. Worship through instruments and singing is ordained by God. Worship through instruments and singing is ordained by God. Did you notice Psalm 150 when we read it? It mentioned the different, the different instruments uh, that, we, that we use. It says, verse 3 of Psalm 150, praising with trumpet sound, lute, harp, tambourine, dance, strings, pipes, sounding cymbals, loud clashing cymbals. I don't like those drums in church. Psalm 150 says, praising with loud clashing cymbals. I don't know how to get around that, all right? I mean, you may, not like, you may not like drums, but don't say it's unbiblical. Okay? We good on that? Okay. Um, but notice there's musical instruments used in praising God. The reason I kind of highlight that is because there are denominations and groups of people that say that you should not use musical instruments in corporate worship, that using musical instruments is wrong. And here's why I believe that view is wrong, because these people say we only worship God according to the New Testament. Okay, people that that are against instruments in worship. We only worship God according to the New Testament. We only worship Him in the way He prescribes in the New Testament. We don't live Old Testament or New Testament. That's their that's their view. Well, the New Testament says Ephesians says praise Him with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Okay, let's praise Him with psalms. Go to the psalms. What do the psalms say? Loud cymbals, tambourines, lyre, harp. Right. The psalm. If you want to praise Him, New Testament. Go to the Psalms. The Psalms say it's okay to use musical instruments. Is it okay to sing a cappella? Absolutely. Is it okay to use instruments? Absolutely. There's, there's, sometimes we get caught up in this craziness and we just, we just neglect to read the Bible. Okay? And so, worship through instruments and singing is ordained by God. I can show you a lot of other verses that speak to that as well. And notice the variety of instruments. The variety of instruments. It's interesting to... Uh, to see how many different types of instruments. You've got, you got stringed instruments. You've got brass instruments. You've got percussion instruments prescribed in the Bible as appropriate in worshiping God. And there are some people that say, well, I like this instrument, but I don't like this instrument. Well, again, let the Bible be your guide in that, right? Did you know that when the organ first came out and was first being introduced into church worship in the Middle Ages, do you know that Christians at that day and time called organ music the devil's music? They did. We don't want that organ in our church. That's the devil's music. Now, who would call an organ devil's music, right? No, none of us would. None of us would. It plays beautiful music. But, that, but people can, can, because something new, they can neglect to let the Bible shine light on, on what is appropriate in a corporate worship setting. And I submit to you that it is appropriate that we sing and it is appropriate that we sing new songs, the Bible says. And appropriate that we sing songs that have already been written. And it's appropriate that we use instruments. And it's appropriate that we use a lot of different types of instruments. Because the Bible gives us the license to do that. Does that make sense? Now, I know I didn't have to say all that, but I just thought it was important to say it. All right, before we moved on. So, why study through Psalms? To elevate our praise. Hopefully... As we work our way through the Psalms, chapter by chapter by chapter, we will learn to better praise God. And our, listen, our hearts will be stirred to, to praise God with all of who we are, to elevate our praise. Number two, why study through the Psalms? To encourage our walks. To elevate our praise, but to encourage our walks. And by walks, I mean our walk with God, our relationship with God. Uh, the Bible uses the metaphor of walking to speak of manner of life 
for example, over in Ephesians 4, it says, walk worthy. So, I mean, your manner of life ought to be worthy, okay? Encourage our walks. And here's what I mean by that. The Psalms teach us that no matter the circumstance you find yourself in, because as we read through Psalms, we're going to see a lot of different circumstances, all right? A lot of different situations. No matter the circumstance, listen, you can trust God. That's what we learn from the Psalms. No matter the circumstance, you can trust God. So I mentioned Psalm 46. Let's go look at Psalm 46 very quickly. Psalm 46. I want to show you the context of this verse. Psalm 46, verse 1. I love this psalm, by the way. Psalm 46, verse 1. It says, God, as sons of Korah wrote this, worship leaders, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So what's the context of this psalm? What's the context? Trouble, right? Trouble. A very present help in trouble. Look what he says. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam through the mountains, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You know what the psalmist here is saying? Even if your world is turned upside down, if the mountains are cast into the sea, if your world is topsy-turvy, you can trust God. Because fast forward down to verse 10. Look what it says. A lot of other things he says, but I'm going fast. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. And we'll get to Selah as we work our way through the Psalms, what that means. But but just think of the context. If your world has been turned upside down, and eventually it will, life is hard, right? You can trust God. You can be still and know that he is God. You can know that no matter what happens in your life, God is with you. You can trust him in any and every circumstance. Uh, Turn to Psalm 62. Let me show you a verse that just says it more explicitly. Look in Psalm 62 with me. Verse 8. Trust in him at all times. Now, you've heard me say that all is a small word with big implications, right? Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. And so the psalmist here calls for, this is David, he calls for a a trust, a dependence, a resting in God at all times. So all times, that mean good times? It's not a rhetorical question. Does all times mean good times? Does all times mean bad times? Does all times mean in the mundane? Does all times mean in the big events in life? Yes, we could go on and on. It's all of it. No matter what comes your way. You're going to get up tomorrow and get up and go to work or go your different directions. Do what you got to do tomorrow. And, and for a lot of us, it's going to feel maybe mundane. But listen... You trust him in that. And when when the wheels fall off, you trust him in that. And when something big happens, you trust him in that. You trust him at all times. And so I believe that as we study the Psalms, we're going to study Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And Psalms like that. um, And uh, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We're going to look at Psalms like that. And as we do that week after week after week after week, our faith is going to be strengthened. And it's going to help us to trust God no matter the circumstances. So I'm excited about that. Now let me give you a third reason 
A third reason we need to study the Psalms, we're going to study the Psalms, to express our emotions, to elevate our praise, to encourage our walks, but also to express our emotions. And I said this earlier, but let me say it again. It's in your notes. Life is hard. Life is hard. That is an, just an inescapable conclusion. And if you haven't come to that conclusion yet, it's because you had not lived long enough, I guess. Because life is hard. Now, here's what I found interesting through my research. 59 of the Psalms, that's a lot. That's a big chunk. 50, I don't know the percentage. Maybe somebody do the math. But 59 of the Psalms are laments. And the word lament means they're, they're, it's, it's a grieving, a sadness uh, over a certain situation. 59 of the Psalms are laments. That's the context of them. It's, it's, it's written by people who are lamenting something very difficult in their life. And so as you study the Psalms, you're going to see tough situation after tough situation after tough situation. They're written in the, in the context of real life. That's one of the reasons I love the Psalms. Almost any situation you can name, you'll find a parallel in the Psalms. And any emotion that you experience in this life, you'll be able to find it in the Psalms. Let me say it like this. We can expect, because life is hard, a full range of emotions to surface in our lives. We're emotional creatures. God made us emotional. And when we deal with the, the, the hardship of life, the tragedies of life, the triumphs of life, all that life brings, we're going to find ourselves dealing with different emotions, right? And how do you handle emotions in the context of a relationship with God? Do you, are you honest with God about your emotions? Should you be honest with God about your emotions? Well, the Psalms say yes. And the Psalms are going to teach us that no matter what emotion we're dealing with, we can go to God with it. And it's awesome to see. So let me give you some examples of some emotions that surface in the Psalms. Depression. Depression. Psalm 42 and 43 are, are connected. And, and David's asking in that Psalm, Why are you downcast, O my soul? He asked it several times. Why are you downcast, O my soul? He even says that that trouble is, is, is like is like is comparative comparative to to waves crashing over his head. He says wave after wave of, of trouble is is crashing over my life, and he felt depression. And depression is a real emotion. Some of the great Christian leaders through human history have struggled with depression. Depression is, is not just for folks that um, are you know, far from God or for folks that aren't walking with God. You can be walking with God. You can be living for the Lord. You can be a strong believer with a strong faith and still encounter depression. It's real. And there are a variety of reasons why depression comes. It can be triggered by something. Sometimes people are depressed and they don't even know why. And it's hard to wrap your mind around and your heart around. So if you ever find yourself in a state of depression, what do you do? You go to God with it, right? It's a real emotion, and you can go to God with that emotional state. David shows that. So we see depression in the Bible and how it's dealt with. We'll talk a lot about that when we get there. Fear. You see a lot of the the Psalms written about fear. Uh, Look over in Psalm 56 with me. There's some other verses for you to look at in your own time, but look in Psalm 56 with me. Verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. 
And so David here is saying, there have been times I've been afraid. And just look at David's life, right? He's always running from somebody. He ran from the Philistines. He ran from Saul. He ran from his own son who uh, committed treason, Absalom. I mean, a large majority of his life was running from folks and wanted to kill him. And he knew what fear was. And he's very honest about his fear, not just here, but in other places as well. So fear is, a, is, a, is an emotion that if you live long enough, you'll deal with. Where you'll, you'll get to a place in life, a circumstance in life, where fear is gripping your heart. How do you deal with it? Well, you go to God with it, right? And the psalmists are going to show us how to go to God when fear is gripping our lives. Another emotion is loneliness. Loneliness. Look what it says over in Psalm 27, verse 10. Again, a Psalm of David. Psalm 27, verse 10. I don't know the exact circumstance here. We can make some guesses. We'll get here when we get to Psalm 27. But look what he says. For my, my father and my mother have forsaken me. How do you know you're having a bad day? When mom and dad forsake you, right? You're having a bad day. And we don't know the exact circumstance. We'll talk about it when we get there. But look what he says. But the Lord will take me in. They knew, knew what it was like to feel abandonment. His own son wanted to kill him and take the kingdom from him. And so he, he dealt with feelings of loneliness. Other psalmists dealt with feelings of loneliness. We'll see that all throughout the, the, the Bible and through this book. Anger. Raise your hand if you've ever been angry. Psalm 35, Psalm 35, verse 1, David says, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Look at verse 4. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like shaft before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net from me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. Let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord exulting in his salvation. He says down in verse 11, Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. He's just, he's just, you sense the anger here because he's praying for God to judge them. Now, there are many psalms like this uh, throughout the Psalter, and they are called, let me give you a big, big word, imprecatory songs. So write that word down. I am, I am, P R E C, imprec, A T O R Y. I-M-P-R-E-C-A-T-O-R-Y, imprecatory. And an imprecatory psalm is when someone is praying for God to judge someone else because they're angry. Or, and, and the anger can be righteous anger. There is a such thing as righteous anger, right? Did you know you can be angry and not sin? Did you know that? Ephesians says, be angry and do not sin, right? So there is a type of anger that's righteous, just, that's, that you're not sinning if you hold that anger. The way we know that is because Jesus was angry during his time upon the earth, right? And Jesus never sinned. Somebody tell me a time when Jesus was angry. The money changers, right? They're, they're swindling people out of money and raising prices and, 
and taking advantage of folks, and he drives them out with a, with a scourge. He turns over tables. He says, get out of my father's house. You've made a, a house of prayer, a den of thieves. He was angry, but it was righteous anger. And there is a such thing as righteous anger. And, and this, this study will help us to know how to process anger and how to deal with anger and what to do with our anger and to be honest about our anger. Anger is a real human emotion. Confusion. Confusion is a real human emotion. Over in Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms, and you hear me say that a lot, but Psalm 73 is wonderful because the psalmist is saying, you know, I look around and people that don't love you, God, are thriving and prospering. And I'm trying to serve you and my life is falling apart. He's basically saying, why do good things happen to bad people? That's what he's saying, right? Have you ever wondered that? You see somebody that's a movie star or an athlete and they're profane and they, 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 they don't love the Lord, they're not about the things of God, they're worldly, uh, they're evil, and yet they're thriving, right? Why? Confusion. Things don't always make sense in life. And the Psalms help us to understand how to process that and what to do when we feel those conflicting thoughts. And this is just a, a small sample of the different emotions that surface in the book of Psalms. And so we're emotional creatures, and the Bible helps us to understand, the Psalms help us to understand how to be emotional and love the Lord at the same time, all right? And trust the Lord at the same time. So we'll talk a lot about that, but one of the reasons we're walking through the Psalms is is to give us a godly way to express our emotions. I guarantee you, no matter what you're experiencing in your heart and mind, you can find a connection point somewhere in the Psalms, okay? Number four. Why the Psalms? To enrich our prayers. To enrich our prayers. For example, many of the Psalms are direct prayers to God. Turn over to Psalm 18 with me. Psalm 18. Verse 1, again a Psalm of David. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Who's David talking to? Who? God, right? And talking to God is called what? Prayer. There's a prayer. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I'm safe from my enemies. And it goes on. It's a prayer to God and even about God. And so we see here a model that we can use to pray because a lot of folks struggle with prayer. I struggle with prayer. If we're, if we're honest, we all struggle with prayer in some way, shape, or form. And sometimes we struggle because we don't know the words to say, okay? We, we say our prayers, we're done in about three minutes, we're like, well, now what? I've said everything I know how to say, now what do I say, right? You ever had that experience before? Or, or you're praying and you get distracted. Anybody ever been there? Oh, I've been there. Man, you, you have your prayer time, you're trying to talk to God, and before you know it, you're, you, you know, your text message dings, and you look just real quick because you're going to get right back to prayer, and, and then you check a website, and then you check your email, and, and uh, then you've got to make a phone call real quick, and before you know it, you're, you're done, right? Distracted. We get so easily distracted when we pray. So, so how do we remedy those things? How can we learn to pray, you know, have a, a, a vocabulary to talk to God with? Or, or how can we avoid 
being distracted in our prayer lives? Because this is a real issue that we all deal with. Well, I believe one of the answers to those questions is uh, the Psalms. The Psalms help us to pray. They will enrich our prayers. Uh, I read a book recently, and I, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a quick read. You can read it in about 30 minutes to an hour, maybe. It's a little thin book. It's called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. And um, after I t- share this with you, you may not even have to read the, the book. But, but I encourage you to read the book. Um, his thesis is uh, that we will learn to pray better and longer without distraction if we will use the words of the Bible uh, to pray. In other words, we'll make the, the language of the Bible our language when we talk to God in prayer because we're using a language that God has, has um, ordained, right? Because He has written His Word. And so we, we are, are gaining from the Word of God a prayer vocabulary. Uh, let me listen, listen to what he says um, there, and this is in your notes. What is the simple solution to the boring routine of saying the same old things about the same old things? You ever found yourself praying, you're saying the same thing every time, Right? What is the answer? Here it is. When you pray, pray through a passage of Scripture, particularly a psalm. So he makes the case uh, that we need to use the, the entire Bible to pray, but the psalms, he says, are made for prayer because they're written as worship songs. They're, they're written to say back to God, right? So they are tailor-made for communication with God. That, that's his point. And he makes the case in this book that we ought to learn to pray through the Psalms. He even has a, 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 a worksheet where he breaks up the Psalms into five Psalms a day every month. And he, he, he recommends that you, you kind of briefly look through those Psalms, see what they're about, and you take the one that's kind of the most relevant to where you are in your life, and you use that Psalm to pray to God on that day. Gordon Wenham says this, The Psalms. They are designed to be prayed. They are designed to be prayed. Then Ben Patterson says this, By praying the Psalms back to God, we learn to pray in tune with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're using heavenly language, if you will, because God wrote it, right? So we're gaining a vocabulary to to talk to God uh, with. And so, uh, I believe as we study through the Psalms... they're, they're going to enrich our prayers. And I'm going to teach you, week after week, I'm going to teach you how to take a psalm and use it as a, a basis for prayer with God. Now, when I say pray the psalms back to God, I don't mean just read them back to God, even though that can be effective sometimes. I mean, you, you read a verse or a, a phrase, and you talk to God about what you just read. So, for example, you say, wait, I'm having a hard time talking to God for more than two minutes. Turn to Psalm 23 and say, The Lord is my shepherd. God, I'm so grateful you're my shepherd. I'm so grateful that you take care of me, you watch over me, you lead me, you guide me. Isn't that easy? How do you know to talk to God about him being your shepherd? Because you just read it in Psalm 23, verse 1. I shall not want. God, I'm so grateful that you give me everything I need. I have everything I need. And you always, you promise to give me what I need. Not what I want, but what I need. And I want for nothing because you provide for me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. God, I'm so grateful that, that when I'm overwhelmed by life, I can rest in you and you can, you can help me to, 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 to rest in your character and your nature and, and, and you restore me and you get me back on my feet when I fall. I'm just so grateful for that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. God, I'm grateful that I walk through valleys. You're always with me. 
So now I'm just kind of just walking through the psalm, and, I, and I've prayed for a couple minutes, hadn't I? And everybody in this room can do that. You read the psalm and use what you're reading as a basis to talk to God. And by the way, I do that through all the, all God, I try to use all God's word to talk to God. So this morning, I read from, I read from uh, Genesis, the story of uh, uh, Jacob uh, pronouncing his blessing on the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he crossed his hands and all that whole story. And, and I read Acts uh, chapter 13 about a, a great revival as they preached the gospel. And, and I read uh, Matthew when, uh, when he uh, raised a young girl from the dead and healed a woman of, of, a, of a, a blood issue that she'd had for 12 years and, and healed two blind men. And, and I'm reading these, and I've read Psalms, and I'm reading these different passages. And so after I read the Bible, I went on a little run, went jogging. And as I'm jogging, I'm, I'm praying, and I'm praying as I go. And, and you know what I prayed about? What I read that morning. God, I'm grateful that you're sovereign and your plan is going to, is going to uh, be worked out in, in, in you know, the patriarchs and building a nation and preserving a nation, sending a Messiah. I'm grateful, Lord, that, that, uh, that Jesus gives us hope in our hopelessness, just like he gave hope to the woman who had the issue of blood and hope to the man who had lost his daughter and hope to the blind men that no one else cared about. I'm so grateful that when I'm hopeless, Jesus gives me hope. And so I'm, I'm praying these things, not because I'm just an eloquent prayer person, but because I'm just talking to God about what I read that morning. Does that make sense? And the Psalms are wonderful for this. If you're ever struggling to pray, if you're ever struggling and talking to God for an extended period of, of time, just get, go to the Psalms and use them as kind of a template, if you will, to talk to God. That makes sense? So I'm excited about this. And we're going we're gonna to work on this, okay? When we, like next week, we'll start on Psalm 1. Great psalm uh, about being planted in the law of the Lord and bearing fruit and uh, I love Psalm 1, and we're going to talk about it next week. And we're going to have some prayer time afterwards, uh, individual prayer time, your own personal life, uh, just some quiet time for you to talk to God about what you studied in Psalm chapter 1. And we're going to learn how to do this together, all right? So one of the reasons I want to study this is to enrich our prayers. Also, I've got some more things about prayer I'm going to share with the church in, in sometime in the near future. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when. I'm still working on some of it. But we're going to do some things church-wide to enhance our overall prayer ministry as a corporate body of believers. And this is going to be part of that. We're going, to, we're going to spend some more time on Wednesday nights praying. And I'll give you the details as we go, but just FYI, okay? So this is going to enrich our prayers. Here's the, the fifth thing, and I'll be done. Why study through the Psalms? To elevate our, elevate our praise, to encourage our walks, to express our emotions, to enrich our prayers, to exalt Christ. To exalt Christ. What Some of my favorite Psalms are those psalms that are clearly talking about Jesus, written hundreds of years before he was actually on the earth. For example, turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Psalm of David. Starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Remember when Jesus was on the cross, this is one of his seven statements from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I believe when he said that, he was referring to Psalm 22. Because in Jesus' time, the first century, they didn't have the Psalms numbered. To, to, to designate a certain Psalm, you wouldn't say Psalm 22. You would quote the first line of that Psalm. Okay, so for example, if I wanted you to read Psalm 23, 
verse numbers weren't around. That was done later by the Masorites in like 1100 AD. They didn't have the, the designations. So if I wanted you to read what we now know as the 23rd Psalm, I would say, hey, go read the Lord is my shepherd. And you'd say, oh, I know what Psalm you're talking about. The one that starts out, first line, Lord is my shepherd. Everybody got that? So when Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe what he was saying was, Psalm 22, Psalm 22. Surely the Jews would have known to go look at that psalm. Now, I believe he's also communicating his emotions on the cross through that statement, but I think he's also wanting us to look at Psalm 22 because Psalm 22, written hundreds of years earlier, talked about what was happening when he was hanging on the cross. Look what it says in Psalm 22. Uh, Fast forward down to verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Exactly what people were saying at the cross. Hey, if he's such a godly man, let God come take him off the cross, right? He says, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from him, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. I believe that refers to the Roman soldiers. They open their, their mouths wide at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. You say, wait, that sounds pretty bad. But is he really talking about the crucifixion here? Is this really prophesying what would happen hundreds of years later when Jesus Christ was on the earth? Well, look what it says, verse 16. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. That sound familiar? How did they kill Jesus? Crucifixion. When these words were written, crucifixion was not even invented yet as a way to execute folks. And yet hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was pierced by Roman nails, the Bible said that Jesus would hang there and be pierced. And then look what it says next. This is is amazing. Verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, which is exactly what happened at the cross. The Roman soldiers gambled for his clothes. Remember that? They were playing games at the foot of the cross. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, Psalm 22 gave us a clear, vivid picture of crucifixion, of what Jesus Christ would endure. Isn't that amazing? And this happens several times throughout the Bible, actually more than several times. There are about 15 messianic prophecies found in the Psalms, 15. And so as we walk through Psalms, we'll stop when we get to a messianic prophecy and say, this is talking about Jesus. And, and as we see all of this come together, it'll help us to exalt Christ as we see these messianic prophecies fulfilled in the life and the ministry of Jesus. So, why the Psalms? To elevate our praise to encourage our walks, to express our emotions, to enrich our prayers, to exalt Christ. I hope you can tell I'm I'm more than a little excited about this. It's going to be a great study. It really is. I love the Psalms. They have ministered to me personally, my family, and I can't wait to just walk through them with you and teach them and and pray through them and apply them to my life and, and all of us to apply them to our lives.